It's a great privilege to be here with you all this evening. My name is Benjamin Broyles, and my family and I are church planning missionaries to the Balkans. I'll share a little bit more about that this evening, tomorrow evening as I share about where God has called us and what He has called us to do. I'd encourage you to open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 5, and we're going to see how to be an effective light. We just heard the kids sing, Be a Light. Well, how do we do that? And we're going to see how to do that here in 2 Kings chapter 5. It's been a great privilege to meet each of you and talk to some of y'all. I got the privilege to meet a bunch of the young people uh, this year. They came down for the world's cheapest mission trip down there at Vision Baptist Missions. And we had a great time getting to meet some of them and uh, reconnect with several of them. Yeah, some of them back there. It's great. Uh, and uh, so it's, it's been a great privilege. Y'all have some great young people and young people that love the Lord. And we're very thankful for that. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. The word of God says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the privilege to open your word and share from it. God, I pray that your word would be working in our hearts, that the Holy Spirit, Lord, would be doing a work in us. God, I pray that you would be raised up this evening, Lord, that it would be what you have to say and not what I have to say. I pray you would work in our hearts, encourage us to be better witnesses and a better light for you in this dark world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we get to the passage like this one, we see a name, Naaman, and we are like, yes, I know this story, uh, I know what it's about, it's about Naaman, and then he gets healed, and, and that's great, but I encourage you not just to come with the idea of, I know the passage, but what does God have for me in this passage? What does he have for me in this passage? Because we can always learn something new. Children are always learning something new, especially when they're, they're very young, learning the Bible stories for the first times. Uh, uh, we're teaching Audrey, she's always asked for different Bible stories, and we get to teach them, we get to share them, and, and uh, we are teaching Audrey uh, the miracles of Jesus. We're going through the Bible, and one of the miracles, uh, the feeding of the 5,000, she said, well, how did Jesus do it? He said, well, he, he did a miracle. He, he broke the bread, gave it to the disciples, they gave it to the people, but there was always more left. She said, what happened? I said, I don't know. Jesus did a miracle. He provided. She said, did the bread grow back? I was like, I don't know. Maybe that's how it was. Maybe it broke, it grew back. But you see, children's minds are always trying to learn. They're always looking, trying to understand. I I hope that's our our mentality as well, that we're trying to learn, we're trying to understand, we're trying to know more about who our God is and what he has for us. So this passage, we're introduced to Naaman. Verse 1 is really an introduction to what we want to get into, which is the life of a little girl. But it's important to see who Naaman is. Who is Naaman? This Naaman, in this verse 1, it really builds him up. God just shows us who this man is, what he has done. The passage said, says that he was the captain of the host of the king of Syria. What does that mean? That means he was probably the second most powerful man in all of Syria. Why? He controlled the armies. The king gave the control of the armies in his hand for him to do as he liked. To send them out, where to go. That also shows us he was a very intelligent man. He was able to coordinate all these different things. He was strategic. He knew how to use them. He sent out his soldiers. He was a man that was very well respected. 
We also see he was very high up in, in, there in this country, and it also says he was a great man with his master. The king liked him. He wasn't just anybody. He wasn't someone who, who got into that position uh, by working his way in. No, the king liked him. The king thought he was a great man. He was a great man with his master. He had this fame. He was a famous person. We see he was rich later on because he had all these servants that were with him. And then at the end of the verse, it says, it says and honorable. And it also says he was a mighty man in valor. That means he was someone who had been through it before. A mighty man in valor. He had someone who had been through battles. He had someone who had proven his worth as a soldier and someone to be looked up to. He had been down there. He had done the different things. He didn't push paper somewhere. No, he was in the middle of it. And he earned that respect. A mighty man in valor. I can, uh, I can imagine him walking through his, his ranks and talking to different people and saying, man, I wish I could be like Naaman. Have you heard that story about him? That one time that he did that thing and, and he, he served and he fought till the end and, and they had stories to tell about. He was a mighty man in valor. People looked up to him. He was this great man. And we see this great man emerge in this verse 1 and we see how great he was, these different things he had done. And we see him having victory over Israel at that time. Why was Naaman having victory? Was it because he was rich? Was it because he was powerful? Was it because he was intelligent? And none of those things are the reason. The only reason Naaman was having victory is because God was the one who was allowing him to have victory. See, God's always in control. In the middle of the verse, God says, Because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. See, that's the reason Naaman was having victory. It wasn't because he was great. It wasn't because he was powerful. It wasn't because he was rich. It wasn't because of any of those things. The only reason is because God was allowing him to have victory. Because God is in control in every situation. See, a lot of times we forget that. We forget that God's in control. We see situations come up and we're like, what's going to happen? But we forget God is in control of that situation. COVID was part of God's plan. You see, that is, he knew that was coming. That was part of it. It didn't catch God by surprise. The war in Ukraine, that didn't catch God by surprise. That was his plan. That's all part of his plan. God is in control. He is always in control. Now, I know you're going through difficulties because you're just like me. I know you go through hardships and through problems because we're all human and we all go through those different difficulties and we all have our specific difficulties we're going through. I don't know the answer to them, but I do know that God's in control of that situation and that you can put your faith, you can trust in God and you can rest a whole lot easier at night. But all these things amount to nothing because Naaman was a leper. It says all these things, I love how God puts it, it puts all these things in about information about Naaman and then it says but he was a leper. Because none of those things could help him either. His riches couldn't help him. And leprosy is a great picture of sin in our lives. Something that eats away at us until ultimately it will kill us. And sin's the same thing. We, don't, we can't cure ourselves from it. We can't, we can't take care of our sin. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can save us from our sin. Then we get into verse 2. And here we meet the little girl that shows us how to be an effective light. So we meet this girl. The Bible says in verse 2, And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. See, the Bible doesn't tell us the name of this little girl, but the Bible does tell us the situation of the little girl. What happened? What happened to her? Very young. The Bible says a little maid, so probably not past the age of 13. Very young girl. And she is what? She's been taken captive in a raid. 
They had been come, came into Samaria at that time, and, and they came in to Israel, and, and they took her captive, and, and they brought her away from her home, her family. Can you imagine what happened to this girl? Taken out of her family. Imagine your child. There's a lot of kids here. Imagine your child taken out of your home, out of your family, taken to another country where they do things completely different, and she became a servant in a sense she had no choice. See, the first thing we see to be an effective light, we need to be true servants. We need to be true servants because Christ was also a servant. We are called to be servants because our Lord was a servant. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. What did our Savior do? What did he do? He set the example. And Paul telling the Philippians said, this is the way we're supposed to think. Let this mind be in you because it was the mind of Christ. Let this, let this be the way we think because it's the way Christ thinks. Look at the way he thought. He was in the form of God, didn't, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. See, Jesus is the one who's worthy of all honor. He's the one who's worthy of all glory and praise. And yet he humbled himself. He came to set the example for you and I. He came, humbled himself, and he became a servant. Christ came to serve, and so should we. Christ came to serve, and so should we. We see Christ serving disciples constantly. We see him serving, giving of his time, serving people, helping them in their situations, going out of his way to reach the lost. But he was a servant. And that's what a lost and dying world needs to see from us. Servants. They need to see people who stop what they're doing to give attention. They need to see people who will devote the time, who are helping others. That's what they need to see. Because that's what they saw in Christ. He served. We see him doing all these different things. And one of the most humble things Christ did is he sat at his disciples' feet and washed their feet. A beautiful picture of servanthood. And Christ said, and Paul telling the Philippians, saying, this is the way we need to think. This is the way we're supposed to do it because it's the way Christ did it. But not only did we see this little girl a true servant, we also see, secondly, that she also had a true testimony. Look at this. In verse 3, we're going to see how she had a true testimony. It says, And she said unto her mistress, this is the little girl talking, she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with a prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Look at this little girl. You see, she was talking to Naaman's wife. She started the conversation, and she shared about who her God was and what he could do for Naaman. She initiated the conversation. Very young girl. She could have kept quiet. She probably should have stayed quiet. But she spoke up. She didn't let the situation around her change the way that she spoke about her God. Because where she was at, they served different gods. They served other idols and and other gods and they did things differently. But she said, if Naaman were in Samaria where the prophet, which was Elisha at that time, if he were there, I know he would be healed of his leprosy. The thing is, she knew who her God was, and she knew what he could do. Do we realize the God that we serve? Do we know our God? And do we know 
what he can do. You see, if I asked you all, do you all believe that God can do miracles? We'd say yes, because it's in the Bible. And we say, yes, I believe God can heal. I believe God can do miracles. I believe he can raise him from the dead. And we believe all these things. We say it. But do we believe he will do them? See, there's a big difference. This girl, she was expecting God to heal Naaman. See, that's what she said. She said, if he were there, if Naaman were to go there, he would be healed of his leprosy. See, that's what she was expecting. Why? Because she knew who her God was. Somewhere along the line, either her parents taught her, maybe it was she had seen Elisha do some type of miracle, I don't know, she could have seen something happen in the past. She knew who her God was, and she really did expect Naaman to be healed of his leprosy. See, a lot of times we're surprised by God when he answers prayer. We pray, we pray, and we pray for these different things, and then when, a, when we come, an answered prayer comes back, we're surprised by it. But that shouldn't be the case, Right? We should expect that to happen because we serve a great God. Because we serve a God who can do those things which we ask of Him. And so many times we're surprised when we shouldn't. We said, yes, thank you, Lord, for doing those things. And we should be expecting God to continue to do great and marvelous things. This girl expected it. She had a testimony. She shared about her God. There's a lost and dying world out there that has and does not have hope. And we can share. Let me share about my God. Let me tell you who my God is. Let me share about what he has done in my life. And I know he can do the same for you. I serve a great God. That's what she did. She had a true testimony. We're going to have to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. The best place to start is now and where you're at. Start somewhere. Have a true testimony. Let people know who you are and who you serve. And God can do great things through it. But not only that, we also see that this little girl, in third place, she had True compassion. She had true compassion. Because if we look at the situation, we think that's great, she had a great testimony, but she didn't have to say anything. See, no one would think differently of this little girl if she kept quiet. Because she could have kept quiet and tried maybe not to get a beating today. She was a slave. She could have just tried to fly underneath the radar, not do anything. But this girl had compassion, and it made her do something about it. This girl had compassion, and it moved her to action. You see, look at verse 3 again with me. Look at the way she speaks. Look at the way she talks to Naaman's wife. She says, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Look at the way she speaks. Man, that was her desire. She wanted Naaman to be healed. She saw his situation. She saw it was a bad situation. She knew he didn't have any hope. And her heart broke for him. So much so that she started speaking up. So much so that she shared that her God could heal him. And who was Naaman to this little girl? He was the enemy, right? He was the one who had caused all the problems in her life. He was the commander of the army. He was the one who sent them into her country and brought her into slavery. Naaman's the enemy. And yet she had compassion on her enemy. See, there's a lost and dying world, and we were just like them. You see, you and I were God's enemy when he died for us. He died in our place while we were yet sinners, while we were yet his enemies against God. See, there's a lost and dying world that needs our compassion. And see, compassion is very different than pity. Pity is looking at a situation thinking, that's very sad, and continuing on. Compassion is taking the next step and doing something about it. And we have what a lost and dying world needs. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? 
because it's our responsibility. You see, when every one of us accepted Christ, I hope everyone does here knows who Christ is and you've accepted him as your Savior. And I'm thankful for my salvation. But a lot of times what we don't realize is when we accepted Christ as our Savior, we now have a responsibility. Because we have the light, it is now our responsibility to share that light with the lost and dying world. A lost and dying world needs to know. Chapter 7 of 2 Kings is about the four lepers and how they go out to the camp of the Syrians. God made them all go away. And as they go out there and, they, and they're taking advantage of the spoils, everything that the, that the Syrians are left behind, they say one to another, we do not well. Why? Because they had the good news that the Syrians were gone. They had the good news that all the camp was there. There was food for the city, but there was a lost and dying city who didn't know. See, that's like you and I. That's like us. We now have the light. We are saved. Amen. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to keep it to ourselves? See, this little girl, she understood she couldn't keep it to herself. She saw a situation where her God could make a difference, and she said, I know he needs compassion. I know he needs this. This is the only hope for him, is to be with Elisha. And she spoke up, and she shared. She had true compassion I remember as we were traveling through uh, Albania, and their capital city is called Tirana, and we were driving through a little area of that, of that city, and there was an open-air market on one side, and traffic's crazy in Albania, so we were driving slow, and, and over here is a bunch of coffee shops. There's actually more coffee shops per capita in Albania than anywhere else in the world. So it's a good place to get coffee. Uh, but we were driving down through there, and it was people in and out. We were driving slow. People knew we were different, and they were looking at us. And I remember looking at a guy over here. He had a plastic bag. He was coming out of the open-air market, probably. And he was standing there, and it was one of those moments where you, you look at someone, and they look back at you, and you just, for a little bit of that awkward moment of looking into each other's eyes. And uh, I, was looking, I was looking at him. He was looking at me, thinking, what are these people doing here? Why are they going so slow and looking at things that no one else looks at? And, uh, and I looked at him, and I realized at that moment that that guy I was looking at was a guy who will live his entire life there in Albania, in that neighborhood, and no one will invite him to church. Ever. And that broke my heart. Because I could look over here, and, and I did. I remember looking over to this side where there's a lady drinking coffee, looked straight into her eyes, she was looking back at up, up at us, and I was thinking... That lady also will never hear, Jesus loves you. And it broke my heart to look at these people and know that they are souls. You see, what we don't realize a lot of times, or what a lot of times we try not to think about because it's uncomfortable for us, is that every person we pass will end up in one of two places. Heaven or hell. That's it. That's what it comes down to. But it's uncomfortable for us to think about that. But at that moment, as we drove through, I remember my wife and I, we started talking. We were sitting in the back, and we started talking about it. And uh, we were broken. We were broken because we could see the people. We could see their faces. And we knew they didn't know. I knew it. I could see it in their faces. I knew they had no hope. I knew they didn't know where they were going when they died. I knew that they didn't have the salvation that we had. And it broke my heart because I couldn't even share. See, compassion is doing something about it. And we said, we have to do something about it. We have to get the gospel to them. But that starts here. That starts now. That starts where we're at. God has put you in a specific place for a reason. God has put you where you're at to be a light. And if God is calling you somewhere else, you need to go. You need to be ready to say, Lord, I am willing. 
here am I. I will go. You see, the, the, when, when Isaiah is there listening to that and the Lord says, you know, who, you know, who will go? And it was very general. He was just, he was just saying it. And Isaiah was like, I'll go. It was general. God's still calling. God's asking, who will go? And he's just looking for a willing heart that will go. It's a great story. You can continue on reading the verses. We're going to jump down to verse 14. But just to give you a back, just kind of what happened is Naaman does go to Israel. He goes to, to Samaria. The king sends him to Elisha there. Elisha doesn't come out to talk to Naaman. Remember, Naaman's a really powerful guy. Doesn't talk to Naaman. Sends out a servant to, to give Naaman the instructions. And the instructions to Naaman were, go to the Jordan River and dip yourselves, yourself seven times in it. Naaman's hot-headed. He takes off. He's thinking, I thought Elijah's going to come out, call on his God, touch where I had leprosy, and he was going to do something great. He gets hot-headed. He takes off. And he's saying, the, the rivers where I'm from are much better than any of the rivers here. And he leaves. His servants are much more humble. They go after him and say, Naaman, if it had been something hard, wouldn't you have done it? And Naaman's, by that time, cooled off a little bit. And he thought, you know what? I would have done it. If it was been something hard, I would have done it. So verse 14 is where we catch up with them. And it says, and he returned, I'm sorry, verse 14, then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And I want to stop right there. That is very, very important. You see, God didn't work in Naaman's life until Naaman obeyed. When Naaman did what God told him to do, then God did something for him. You see, a lot of times we want God to work in our lives, but we're not in obedience to him. God, why aren't you working in my life? Well, are you obeying him? Are you in his word? Are you following what he has for you? If you want God to work in your life, start by obedience. And Naaman did. He went in there according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. I love how God works. Because God doesn't do anything halfway. He does it better than it was before. You see, Naaman doesn't, wasn't only healed of his leprosy. His skin, skin came back better than it was before. See, we've got very young daughters, and their skin is, is very perfect. They don't have the, they've got smooth skin. In fact, my oldest daughter, when she wakes up, she wants to touch our younger daughter's uh, hands because she says her hands are so soft when she wakes up. And she wants to touch her hands. She's got perfect skin. They don't have the skin that I have, gotten run over by bicycles, fallen off of walls, got a lot of stitches. See, they didn't have the scars that I have. See, Naaman's skin became like the skin of a little child. Better than it was before. Perfect. Amazing. Then we see in verse 15, Naaman speaking to the man of God. He says, Behold, in the middle of verse 15, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. That's big. That's huge because, you see, Naaman worshipped many gods. But now he realized they didn't help me. None of these gods and idols I served before could help me. There's only one true God. And that's the God of Israel. You know, that's the God that you and I serve. We serve the same God that Naaman is talking about. He realized there's one true God, and we still serve that same God. And then in verse 15, we see Naaman also speaking in the middle of verse. He says, For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. You see, not only did Naaman realize there's only one true God, Naaman said, I'm only going to worship that one true God. 
Isn't this an amazing story of what's happened? You see, this didn't just affect Naaman, right? This affected his wife. His wife saw his skin was clean. It was perfect. It was better than it was before. And uh, then we see the king realizing that Naaman was healed, and he was perfect, and he knew where he had been healed. Then we see also not just that, but we also see his soldiers realizing what happened. Naaman had leprosy. He doesn't have it anymore. What happened? And the story started spreading till everyone knew about it. I really do believe everyone knew about it. This is, a, this is like the second most important man in all the kingdom. People knew what happened to Naaman. Naaman's only worshiping one true God now. He's only worshiping one God. Things have changed in Naaman's life. What has happened? This affected thousands and thousands of people. But none of that would have happened without the testimony of one little girl. Do you realize none of it would have happened without the testimony of one little girl? And we might not think we're big. We might not think that we're great. We might not think we have, we have position in this world. And that's fine. We don't need to, because God is just looking for a willing heart. And God will do great things. Your testimony is an amazing thing. Your testimony is an amazing thing, and God wants to use it. You can do great things for God if you will let God do it. God's just looking for a willing heart. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share from your word again. God, your word is true. Your word is perfect, and I thank you so much. God, I pray that there's someone here who doesn't know Christ as their Savior. That tonight would be the night that they repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in you alone. Lord, I pray for those who do know you. God, we need to do more. The world, it is still ripe into the harvest. Lord, the labors are still few. God, we ask, we pray, we pray that you would send more laborers. Lord, this is your prayer request. You asked us to pray for this. So God, this is what we're asking. We're asking that you send more. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to raise up and send them out around the world. God, I pray that you would help us to be better servants. God, help us to be a light in our community by having a true testimony. And God, I pray that also we'd have compassion that would move us to action for a lost and dying world. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment. I wonder maybe is God speaking to your heart about something tonight? I can't believe that if we truly ask God to work in our hearts that after hearing the presentation and the testimony and the message that God hasn't done something. What is God doing in your heart tonight? And are you willing to be obedient to it? You see, if we ask God to work in our heart and then he does and we don't do anything about it, you know the Bible says that is sin? To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, the Bible says to him it is sin. I don't know what God is speaking in your heart about tonight. Maybe God's speaking in your heart about just simply stepping out by faith and saying, Lord, I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm available. I'm willing. Here am I. Just like Isaiah, Lord, here am I. Would you be willing to serve wherever God places you? Wherever it is. 
Maybe it's at your workplace. Would you be willing to serve the Lord there and let your testimony to be that light that God wants it to be? What is it that God is speaking to your heart about tonight? Maybe there's someone here tonight and maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. And you know, God is saying, hey, you need to, you need to put your faith and trust in me. You need, to, you need to put your pride aside and repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you need to do that tonight, we'd be happy to take the word of God and show you how you can be saved. Christian, what is God speaking to you about? Would you simply say, Lord, here am I. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. Maybe God's speaking to your heart about going. You say, I I need to surrender to go. I may not know the place yet, but I need to surrender. God's speaking to my heart about going as a missionary. Maybe tonight you need to surrender about that. Maybe God's speaking to your heart about just being a better witness and a testimony where he's placed you now at work in your neighborhood with your family. Then you need to be obedient to him about that. Maybe God's speaking to your heart and saying, hey, you can trust me to give so that these missionaries can go. What is God speaking to you about? And are you willing to be obedient? See, if we could just stand to our feet quietly tonight. Candle's just going to